This is a Holding Court Special Report. All right, everyone, I told you I would stay on top of this, this Peng Shui situation. I've been taking a little hiatus from my podcast, but I've been doing some updates uh, as I think uh, necessary, and I'm very, very lucky to have uh, a guest who sort of joined me at the last minute here. His name is Chris Fenton. He's worked in the entertainment business for a long time. He's got a book called Feeding the Dragon, Inside the Trillion Dollar Dilemma Facing Hollywood, the NBA, and American Business. And uh, I came across you, Chris, I, I'd, I'd heard of you before. I came across you, obviously, in the last week um, as I've tried to educate myself on what's happening with Peng Shui, the tennis player who's been missing in China, although apparently she's been she's been found, if you believe what you hear and see from the IOC. But thanks for joining me. I know you're on a little vacation with your family. I'm about to take one myself with mine. So thanks for giving me a couple of minutes and giving us a little background in the tennis world about what this means, you think, overall for relations and just moving forward, the Olympics coming up. There's so many uh levels to this story that i want to get into with you so thank you chris well the honor is mine i've been a big fan of yours and i've known obviously you for a lot longer than you've heard of me and uh i appreciate having uh the time to get to talk about this situation because it's a it's an amazing confluence of events that have have occurred which i believe you probably came across one of my op-eds that i wrote for yes CNN and it's I did a nice little trilogy on, on sort of the way we need to look at the upcoming Beijing Olympics as a real uh, position of, of leverage in order to get some constructive change done between the U.S. and China. But then on top of it, as you know, we had Enos Cantor out there who's been extremely vocal about many sensitive issues that the uh, Chinese Communist Party does not want anybody talking about, everything from Tibet to Hong Kong to Taiwan uh, to Xinjiang province, Uyghur controversy. Um, and then on top of it, suddenly we have Peng's disappearance. Um, and I think what's absolutely remarkable, and, and I didn't deal with tennis um, during the 20 years that, that I talk about in my book. It, we were much more involved with the NBA and Hollywood and getting both of those entities much more integrated into the China market. Right. But the way I see it is it's really part of the commercial and cultural exchange, which has been massively prolific over the last 40 years and very, very important in regards to the trade dynamic between the two countries. And tennis just falls right into that smack in the middle. And it's mm-hmm. one of the most profitable um, sports endeavors when it comes to China between the events there, between the endorsements of the, the individual athletes. And I am absolutely... Um, you know, the respect and admiration I have for the tennis community coming out and almost not even thinking about it for even a split second, whether they should come out and vocally support what happened to Peng and demanding answers is, is just remarkable because I've been watching, unfortunately, my community of Hollywood. I've been watching, unfortunately, NBA stay silent on these issues, and the tennis community really needs to be commended for what's happened. So I guess the question now, Chris, and you have so much experience. I mean, you've you, you've done movies there, um, you've spoken there. You have a, such an in, incredible history within China. So I guess you, you, I, I did read your article, and I, I remember saying in one of my interviews I did when when this story first broke last week on CNN, saying, and 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 my I think my last line was, "When is enough enough?" 
you know, when is, uh, as far as our relationship with China, I mean, you could, you could argue with other countries around the world as well, but we'll leave that for another day. But in your, in your article, you, you, and, and I've read, and I watched some of your interviews that you gave long before this situation came up, where you really look at the 2022 Olympic games as sort of, as something that has to be dealt with in a way, I guess my, my feeling at this moment, having seen what the IOC did and having seen the reaction, or should I say lack of reaction from many of the media companies that were coming after me for interviews just a week ago that are now sort of saying, in, in fact, one of the, the uh, emails that was written to me, Chris, in the last couple of days was, we're standing down on this issue. How does that, how, how does that hit you? the thing you bring up what is the tipping point when is enough is enough and and unfortunately capitalism really dictates what what is the self-interest of every entity person and and celebrity or athlete or whoever on earth in a lot of different ways i mean it's let's face it i mean it's an instinctual um, part of you know who we are as americans and when money is on the line there's a lot of skin at stake right so to, to completely blame people for staying silent, at least initially on this subject, you can see the calculus that goes on in their head. What, what I think is the silver lining in all this is that, particularly Hollywood, we have lost a large amount of market share, um, as high as 80% back in 2012, down to less than 10% in that market this year. And it's been dropping steadily every year because what we did is we, we, we were given access to sell them fish, but then in the process, we had to teach them how to fish. Mm-hmm. And what the reason I bring this up is because this is a rinse and repeat for every other industry, every other business when it comes to China. And the tennis is no different. I mean, their their goal is obviously to, to create competing events, um, the opportunity to, to build their own athletes, to, you know, generate imitation uh, products and services uh, for some of the big tennis sponsors that are out there. And what happens is the risk-reward calculus of businesses will start to change um, as their access to the market starts to shut down. And as that changes, things like what is going on today and how vocal the tennis community is in bringing attention to this Peng situation, what Enos Cantor is doing, what Judd Apatow is doing, what Daryl Morey did um, with his tweet from the, uh, his position as the Houston Rockets GM, all of that vocalization of what's wrong is causing consumers and critics and journalists and politicians to see the problem and to start to use their wallets and their own positions of influence to stand up against it. And now when you look at the, the closed access to the market for a lot of businesses, plus the Western retaliation for what a lot of consumers see as wrong occurring, the risk reward starts to weigh heavily on doing what's right. Mm. And quite frankly, when you do what's right in a situation like that, you can actually monetize whatever that product and service is, sometimes even better because you're seen as doing something that's correct, that's morally and ethically superb something that's not kowtowing to something that we all feel very disappointed about when we hear about these issues and the way corporations are looking the other direction. So I do see that tipping point occurring and what the tennis community is doing to vote. 
vocalize this, to make people aware of it, is causing that tipping point to come closer and closer to today, which is fantastic. My, my question to you, and again, I'm talking to Chris Fenton, who's uh, got a great book called Feeding the Dragon that really addresses uh, this issue from so many different levels and for him so many, from so many years. So this uh, is not nothing new to him. But my, my question to you is, Chris, you know, because there's so much business intertwined between us and China, whether it's entertainment, sports, the Olympics, whatever it is, there's just so much. We've got uh, the ship sitting off the coast of California now trying to bring our stuff in that you know, we've ordered for Christmas on Amazon. So we all know that. Is it possible to affect China to continue to do business with China? And, and in other words, not just pull the plug. You know, the WTA, the women's tour, is essentially saying we're ready. We know that the financial repercussions for us are massive to lose 9 to 11 tournaments, whatever it is, in China. I would argue even more exponentially for tennis than for the NBA. You know, probably not a bigger number, but a bigger percentage of the money in women's tennis would, would leave the sport. Um is it possible to affect some sort of change there while still being able to do business in China, if you're tennis, if you're the NBA, if you're Hollywood? A hundred percent, the answer is yes. Um, we do not want to decouple from China. The only way to decouple after 40 years is a flat-out war, a kinetic war. It's just too, uh, we're just too complicated a creature as far as shark and remora to be able to do that. What we need to do is sort of what Europe did in the early 1800s, which is said, hey, you know, at U.S., you're building your infant industries and your industrial revolution on our backs with tech theft and, type, you know, sports JVs and tariffs and protectionist policies. Enough's enough. We want to monetize what we help build, but we we'll go to war with you over. And that's essentially what we need to do with China. But there's other facets of it, too. I mean, there are, first of all, huge freedom of speech issues that they have encroached upon when it comes to across their borders. The ability for Daryl Morey, for instance, the Houston Rockets GM, to tweet out his support for Hong Kong protesters while on Western soil should be allowed. It shouldn't have repercussions of shutting out the league for a year and a half to two years. In fact, you still can't see NBA games on CCTV, and you can't see any teams that were ever affiliated with Daryl on any sort of platform mm -hmm. or in any store shelf as far as merchandise is concerned. So we need to stop that cross-border censorship. As far as Taiwan is concerned, which is something that Enos Cantor has brought up, I mean, we can flat out say, do not touch that sovereign nation. We are, uh, we are standing behind all these companies and industries that are doing business in China. You need them. We have economic leverage. You need to stay away from Taiwan's independence. Uh, we will recognize them continuously as a and this one China policy, but they need to remain independent. Just cannot go the way of Hong Kong. On top of it, there's WTO designations, which are still as um, they still recognize China as a developing nation. They need to, quite frankly, be called a developed nation, especially now with China calling themselves a superpower and a rival of the U.S. and the leader in that region. We also need to apply SEC accounting practices to the way uh, their their companies. Um, gain access to our U.S. capital markets. There's all kinds of different issues. And then, of course, there are the human rights issues mm. that we need to keep pushing on. We are never going to agree with them on human rights. It is something that is in their DNA, is something different than us. But what we can do is push for them 
to affect change. We can push companies to stop manufacturing there, to stop using slave labor, to essentially come out and speak out about it and be vocal about it and, and affect China in a way that affects them economically. And that will eventually move them towards the direction we need them to. But going back to your answer, yes, can affect change. And no, we do not want to fully decouple because it would be very, very disruptive to the globe. What would you like to see happen, Chris, as far as the Olympics is concerned in 2022 in Beijing? The problem with the Olympics, and we were involved with the 2008 Olympics, Keep in mind, China at that time was coming out of their juvenile sort of status as a rising power and coming into their adolescence. It was essentially a coming-of-age party that they did on the global stage. Mm -hmm. What the Beijing 2022 Olympics is, is that fancy dinner party, Mm -hmm. where China is essentially announcing to the world, we are now adults and we are leaders in the world. Whether we are co-leaders in the U.S. or full-out leaders, They are trying to get validation for their very competent government in their eyes, for the infrastructure and the the magistry of what they have built in less than 40 years. They are trying to get global validation. And for all of us to have all these issues that China has created, that they are not fixing, in fact, are making more aggressive a stance on when it comes to most of them. And for us to still look the other way on that and go over there and validate them, I think that symbolically is completely wrong and will essentially validate all that they have been doing. So my belief is that we need to do some sort of boycott. And as as somebody who was an athlete, my son is a great athlete. I, I look at this and think about the athletes who have worked so hard to compete in those Olympics. I'd love to find a way to affect change without penalizing them. Mm. And I've talked about perhaps NBC not showing the Olympics around the world and, in fact, boycotting the coverage of it so that it, it becomes a tree falling in the woods that no one sees, yet the athletes still compete. Um, I think there's also a lot of discussion about moving the Olympics. I think there is a very sort of logical and practical version of a boycott, which is involving a diplomatic boycott, which I know President Biden is considering. But we need to do something that gives a strong message that enough is enough and that they need to change in a lot of places where it is practicable and doable in the short term. Interesting, isn't it, when you look at uh, this bigger picture? And, and I, I got to ask you two things, and I appreciate you again giving me a few minutes. I know you got to run, but uh, what do you think has gone on actually with Peng Shui? Because that's what a lot of obviously people in the tennis community are still wondering. We saw the pictures, we saw the videos. We're assuming this is all staged by the Chinese government or the Chinese Tennis Association. That would be my assumption. What's your assumption on what's happened since she posted that um, piece? she did on, on social media that this uh, political figure uh, sexually assaulted her. What, what do you think has actually happened there in the last month to her? Well, I look at the Chinese Communist Party as one that's a little bit like a teenager that doesn't get punished for doing wrong things, and they essentially get more and more emboldened to do things that are more and more aggressive. I mean, if you look at MPS in Saudi Arabia and the way the Khashoggi killing went down, I think um, he his his risk-reward calculus was like, hey, this guy's causing a problem. I'm going to get rid of him. And you know what? No one said anything bad about that before, so I'm going to get away with it. And obviously, the global community stood up and said that was wrong, and there was all kinds of repercussions for it. 
I think China's the same way. I mean, John Gulli is, is arguably one of the most powerful figures in the history or in the modern history of the Chinese government. He was one of the standing committee members. Remember, there's only seven of them out of 200 plus central committee members and out of 92 million Communist Party members on the whole. He was one of seven of them. Um, Xi Jinping obviously oversees the standing committee, and uh, it was extremely embarrassing to Xi Jinping to have that claim come out, that claim of sexual assault, um, something that uh, happened over a long period of time, and with somebody as high profile as Peng. So they wanted to do something to make sure that was silenced, and what they did was extremely aggressive. And I do believe she probably is still alive. Uh, but I will say that she's probably not in the best state. And I can only go by speculation and what I'm reading and seeing because I am not over there myself. But what they did do was something that I think wasn't calculated correctly. And they underestimated essentially the fortitude of, and the wherewithal of the community that Peng had built her celebrity and her success in, which is the tennis community. They just expected the same thing to happen where everybody would look the other way, put their heads in the sand, and essentially take what it was a tempest of a teapot and make sure that the news cycle just passed it by. What didn't happen was exactly that. The tennis community came out, vocally supported Peng, and is demanding answers. And I think that was a calculus that they completely underestimated. And now they have a real rat's nest that they have to figure out how to crawl out of. And we better all hope that Peng is alive and safe and sound because they are going to be pressured to make sure that she is set free in whatever capacity that is in order to save face in this and, and help allow the Olympics to still continue because that is a situation where I do think the straws will break the camel's back and there will be boycotts if something really, really, um, you know, has happened to Peng that should not have. And that's not the case. Yeah, that you're you're dead on about that, and uh, obviously the reaction from the the IOC and comparing that to what's happened with the Women's Tennis Association, I think are wow. I mean, it's like the IOC just kind of playing along with uh, the Chinese and the WTA saying no, thank you. So we shall see where this uh, goes. I hope I can call you back if you need me to jump on. I know you have your own podcast too, Chris, so thank you for squeezing me in. Keep up the great work. Enjoy uh, the holiday season, and hopefully we'll meet and talk again down the road. Yeah, for your audience, I'll be, I'll be tracking it at the Dragon Theater on my Twitter and probably a slightly different angle than obviously you will be. So uh, anybody that wants to follow and, and follow my commentary on it, I'd love that. Um, and I really, once again, want to want to thank the community, your audience, um, the way tennis has really stood up in this situation where there are not many others that have. Um, it's really fantastic. And quite frankly, that community might create the tipping point we're all looking for. So thank you again, and thank you on behalf of the global and thank you, Chris, for coming on and for educating me and the audience on uh, everything that you're doing and that you know about already. So well done, Chris Fenton, everyone here on Holding Court, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. This Holding Court special report was powered by Mudhouse Media.